Thank you for listening to the Shanghai Community Fellowship Podcast. To find out more about the SCF community, listen to sermons, and upcoming events, visit us at shanghaifellowship.org. All right, well, welcome back today uh, as we uh, finish up this series on Romans chapters 10, 9, 10, and 11, uh, and remembering that the title of the series was One Tree, One Family of God. And we're going to get that in to today's message uh, uh, as well, that, uh, that God has one family. He has and always had one people. You know, uh, this in, in some ways kind of at the heart of what is being talked about in these chapters uh, because, and we've said this now several times, uh, but it does give the context really for why, why now? Why are we talking about this now? Why is Paul talking about this uh, in the context of, the, of, his, of his entire letter to the church in Rome? That, that you know, you, you, you had the beginnings of the Christian church, that new community that was taking shape around the resurrected Jewish Messiah, Jesus, and like 90 plus percent, maybe 99 percent of, of that community was made up of Jewish followers of Jesus. Uh, but what's happening is now you're getting into the third, fourth, and fifth decades after the resurrection of Jesus is that <clears throat> more and more people are coming into the kingdom. That's good news, right? Uh, but most of those people are non-Jewish people, and they're believing on Jesus. They hear the news of the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, and what God has accomplished in Christ and, and they're believing on him. <laughs> That's very good news. But it's in, in such increasing numbers. And at the same time, so few Jewish people are continuing to come in to the kingdom and into the church that the numbers are shifting. Uh, and it's obvious to, to everyone, especially those who are in leadership, that there is a major shift going on here. And there's a shift away from a church, a new community of Jesus's people that is predominantly Jewish to one that is going to be predominantly non-Jewish. And, and, and it's not just a shift, but it's a slowdown of Jewish people believing in, in their Messiah, which is raising questions not only for uh, the Jewish Christians, like, hey, what, what, what's going on? Why, why aren't more of my fellow, my Jewish friends believing and, and uh, with all these non-Jewish people coming to church, you know, my Jewish friends aren't going to really want to come. Because, no, they're not going to want to come to a, a religious gathering where, where there are so few Jewish people. Um, but there's also the question about God's loyalty and faithfulness to his promises that he made to this people. These people, this tribe, uh, this nation, uh, the Jewish people, were, were to be at the heart and soul of this of, of the covenant of God and the promises of God and what God is doing then, now, and forevermore. Uh, but they're not. But they're not. And, and it's just raising a lot of questions for people. And, and we've been looking at this um, uh, through these chapters of Romans 9, 10, and 11. And it's not just an issue uh, for them at that time. Uh, and you could imagine, you, it, it wouldn't be that difficult for us to see why that's upsetting or why people are asking these questions because it's very visual. You can see it happening right in front of you. But for those of us who are living today in 2023, where so few uh, uh, Christians are Jewish, 
um, and followers of the Messiah. And the church today, God's new community, is almost uh, pr pr is predominantly non-Jewish. You can say, well, why is why is this a, an issue? Really, okay, it was it was then, but things shifted, and we've moved on, right? And we're not going back. So I don't want to say who cares, but it's just to say that's just kind of how things go sometimes. But what Paul is saying, and here's the impact for you and me living today, is that this isn't the way it was meant to be, and things are going to shift again. And we can anticipate that. Things are going to shift back to the Jewish people. Uh, so this is not history, this is about our future. And not only that, when, 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 when a shift begins to take place, and Jewish people begin believing on Yeshua, on Jesus, their Messiah, this is going to bring about some significant changes, not only to those of us who are following Jesus today, um, but to the future of, uh, of the world, actually. Um, and we'll talk more about that as we go on uh, in this message today. But it's, it's a big deal, and it's not just a big deal from another time, but it, it really impacts us today uh, and also, uh, and also our, our future. So I want to take a look. This is the last chapter, chapter 11, and just take a closer look at what is actually being said. I mean, sometimes the best thing to do is just, just go right to the Bible and read it, you know, read the words and look at what is actually being said. So we're going to kind of do, this is, this is, this is a, an expository message today. We're going to just look at the Bible and just go comment as we go through. All right, so Romans 11, first six verses. I asked then, and this is Paul speaking, I asked then, did God reject his people? There's the question. It's actually a question she's asked already two or three times. Has God moved on? Has God not not just moved on, but He's actually rejected the Jewish people? They didn't believe in me. They didn't accept my offer. Uh, they didn't accept their own Messiah. Uh, so I've just moved on. I've, I'm rejecting them. And and of course the answer is by no means. Spoken very very strongly. And then Paul continuing about himself. And I think here he's, he's it's like he's offering himself as an example, right? Like, for example, he might say, I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. And God did not reject his people he, whom he foreknew. In other words, like Paul's just saying, listen, I am a Jewish person and I was not rejected. And God's not going to reject any Jewish person. We're part of the promise. He continues, don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved, this was his answer, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And Paul references a story about the prophet Elijah who had really brought God's truth and God's word to his own people group, again, back to the Jewish people, and they persecuted him for it. And, and, and literally, Elijah ends up running for his life and, feel, and fears for his life, legitimately, good reasons to fear for his life. And he, and he gets to that point of desperation where uh, many of us can, can be, where he feels like he's the only one. I'm the only one this is happening to. I'm the only one this has ever happened to. And he cries out to God, God, your people, 
the Jewish people, have, are, are persecuted. They want to take my life for, for me representing you and your word to them. And God's response is to tell him, you are not alone. There is a remnant. You're not the only person who loves me. You're not the only person who is dedicated to me. You're not the only person who is following me. There is a remnant of people, some 7,000 of them, Elijah. You are not alone. And it's that remnant that Paul wants to talk about. And his point here is that even now in the context of his writing, there are Jewish people uh, God has not rejected the Jewish people, and not all Jewish people have rejected him, uh, as it was in the days of Elijah. So it is in Paul's day, and so it is today in 2023. There are Jewish people who have received Jesus as their Messiah, and those people are there as a marked remnant. Uh, in another place, call, Paul would call them the natural branches to the tree that have remained with the tree and chosen by grace, verse number five. So too, at that present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. So they're not there. Uh, these, these people, these Jewish people who have received Jesus as the Messiah and remain grafted into the one tree, they're not there because of what they've done. They're not there because of their uh, awesome ability to obey all of God's laws. They're there for the same reason we are all there by God's grace to us. If it were, if they were there based on their works, Paul said, uh, grace would no longer be grace. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I love that phrase, grace would no longer be grace. If it were all about, if our being in right standing with God, knowing his favor, uh, knowing his love, experiencing his mercy, if it were all about my ability to earn it, then grace would not be grace. And I wouldn't have been able to, or you, have been able to earn it anyway. All right, so, there, so, so what, what, we're, what, well, what I want to say here, uh, in addition uh, to what has been said, is that for centuries, there's something about, ironically, I, I think ironically, that, that when Paul answers the question again, yet for another time, has God abandoned the Jewish people? And he says affirmatively again, no, no. Uh, that these chapters, 9, 10, and 11, have been used to justify anti-Semitism, all right? Especially in the Christian community. God has already moved on, so uh, feel free to hate and discriminate against Jewish people. And ironically and tragically, um, these very chapters have been used to discriminate against uh, the Jewish people. Uh, and it should never be. It should have never been, and it should never be. There should never be. There is never any reason uh, to discriminate or for there to be any form of anti-Semitism. The remnant today that our Jewish people have received Jesus as their promised Messiah, just as you have and I have, and we are all part of this one tree, this one family of God. All right, now moving on. Romans 11, verses 11 and 12. Again, I ask, did they, did they, that is the Jewish people, did they stumble as to fall so far beyond recovery? I mean, so they just so badly messed it up, so badly uh, missed God, basically. I mean, God comes, he brings the final revelation of himself. It, Jesus encaptures everything that God would want to say or do. He completely and perfectly reveals the heart of the Father. And as we 
we'll discover later that in Christ, all things will be submitted to him. He's gonna wrap everything up. It's just, there's nothing else other than Jesus, right? And the Jewish people have missed it. They they just missed it. And if they've missed the one and only thing, the last thing that God is going to say, um, have they stumbled so badly that they can never recover from that? Again, strong affirmative, strong answer. Not at all, Paul says, not at all. Verse 11, Uh, rather, but because of their transgression, because of their stumbling over the stumbling stone, salvation has come to the Gentiles. That's the non-Jewish world, which makes up like 99.9% of the church today. There are some like, there are over 2 billion Christians in the world today. The overwhelming majority of the 2 billion people uh, uh, who identify as Christian today are not Jewish. And we are in the kingdom and we are attached to the tree. We are part of the one family of God in no small part because of the stumbling of the Jewish people and their transgression. Um, he says that, that all of this exchange and shifting from a church and a community of Jesus people who are mostly Jewish to a community of Jesus people now over 2 billion strong uh, that are mostly non-Jewish people. Well, all of this is going to have the effect of making the Jewish people envious, talk more about that in a moment, and bringing them into the kingdom. Verse number 12, but if their transgression, their stumbling, uh, means riches for the world, and of course it did, uh, and it has, and if you're a follower of Jesus and you've experienced new life in him, the forgiveness of sins, then it has for you. And their loss means riches for the Gentiles, for you and I. We have inherited the riches of God's kingdom through our co-heir, Jesus Christ. How much greater the riches will be with their full inclusion? How much greater riches will their full inclusion bring, is what he actually says. He's talking about a a transgression. What, what, What was their transgression? What was their stumbling? In what way did they stumble? Uh, we should know so that we don't make the same mistake. Well, they, they, they took the, the directions and the commandments of, of God that came from God. We talked about this last week. They took the things that God gave, that God gave as, as to say to them, now that we are in a right standing relationship together, now that we, that is God, the supreme, supreme and majestic and holy one, um, maker and author of all life, um, is in, and we are in right relationship with him. We are in a healthy, life-giving relationship with him. Then he gives us a way to express and live out that relationship with him so that we might know how to obey him and please him and love him and love uh, and care for others well, when we take all the directions and commandments uh, from God on how to live out this relationship with him, and we make those the way we come into a right relationship with him, we have transgressed. We have, we stumbled. Uh, we, we, made, and we, we made the free gift of God's grace and mercy into something that we're going to have to earn. And it was wrong. It was just wrong. It was never the heart of God. It was always going to be uh, from faith to faith, all right? And, and then to arrogantly think that 
Well, because I'm doing so well with the rule book, I'm actually somebody who doesn't need any mercy or grace. I mean, to, to actually think of myself as someone on equal footing or at least earned my place at the table of God. Uh, I'm not like those other people who probably need some mercy and need a little extra, you know, EGR, as we say, extra grace required. Uh, I'm not like those guys because uh, I've worked really hard and I've passed the test. Test. I'm already up to HK7 and uh, I've earned the right to be here. And it's, their, their end was also their, their stumbling. In the end, and by the way, in the end, they never really did keep all those laws anyways. Somehow, although it's not explained, the Jewish people's disobedience, arrogance, transgression, and stumbling and rejection of Jesus as their Messiah somehow opens the door for non-Jewish people, uh, like probably most of us listening today, to experience God's mercy. And this happened big time, big time. Uh, remember the metaphor about the one tree that he, that he talked about? All right, the grace of God and the mercy of God and the love of God are within the roots of those trees, of that, of, rather, of that one tree. So when the branches, those of us unnatural branches, are grafted in by the craftsmanship of this master gardener, and the natural branches who believed on Jesus as Messiah, of course, remain attached to the tree. It's the life-giving nourishment of God's grace and mercy and love coming through the root system that gives us life even today. Uh, Jesus is going to be a part of that root system. Uh, remember that Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. He's connecting himself. Jesus is the root system. He's in the roots. And the roots are going to produce fruit on the branches. So there's, there's Christ, there's the love of God, there's the mercy of God, there's the, uh, there's the grace of God in the roots. And, and these things come up through the trunk of the tree and into the branches, which are you and me. And then we see this beautiful fruit uh, on our lives, a beautiful, fruitful life on us. And, and, and here's the cool thing is what's, what, what Paul is saying is even though we were clueless that any of this was going on, that never disqualified us from God's mercy. Even though, like, like think about your own story before you became a follower of Jesus. Uh, some of us were like absolutely clueless of, 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 of what God was doing. Uh, that, there was a, that, that, that there was a tree. They had no idea that there was such a thing. And, and yet God showed his mercy to you and to me, even when I, even when I had no idea uh, that such a thing was, was really there, God's mercy, his love, and his grace. As long as there is daylight, it's not too late to receive his mercy for any of us, for any of us. Again, somehow, but not fully explained, the Jewish people will become envious of all of us non-Jewish people enjoying the fruit and the benefits and the life of this covenant and the fruitfulness of being connected to this one tree or to change metaphors, to being members, sons and daughters of the family of God. They're gonna, they're gonna look at all of us following Jesus and enjoying the fruit of the covenant and the, the inheritance of the family and say, wait a minute, how did these guys get this? 
and out of their envy, it will lead them to believe. And then things are going to shift. And I think, I think, I think you could say it this way, that the shift will be as obvious as the shift that was going on in the first, in the first century. And we started by making this point, and we've said this actually several times over the last couple of weeks, that, that, that it, was, it was shocking. Now, it wasn't just noticeable, it was shocking as this shifting was going on, moving like in, in a sense away from the Jewish people who dominated this new community of Jesus's people, the one people of God, as it shifted from them to non-Jewish people, it will be equally shocking for those of us who will be alive uh, when it happens and when it, when it, and it is going to happen, when the shift will take place, as it were, away from the 2.2 billion Gentile non-Jewish Christians and as it shifts away from them and shifts over to the Jewish people who are turning to Jesus, the Messiah. It'll be that obvious, it'll be that shocking, that noticeable, and the effects will be phenomenal. Because as Paul said, there will be a great blessing that will come when this happens. Uh, uh, they are going to realize and see the beauty of God expressed in the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ the Lord. It's like, as I thought, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, maybe it's like seeing your spouse after years and years and years of, of seeing your spouse day after day after day. And now for some reason, you begin to see him or her and her beauty and, and, and why you fell in love. It's like, you're just seeing it now. Uh, after many years, like you're just seeing it possibly because somebody else is seeing her or him for his beauty and for uh, or her uh, character and strength and all those things. And you're like, wow, well, you know, other people see my husband, see my wife, you know, or this other person is paying attention, you know, like, hey, what's going on here? And, uh, and, and, you're, and, and what it does, it creates this uh, envy and I'll use this word carefully, jealousy to awaken within us. You know what? The person I married, I love, I see their beauty. I lost sight of her beauty. I, I, lost, <clears throat> I lost sight of his strength, but I'm seeing it now. I'm seeing it now. I'm seeing it now. We've been stirred into seeing the beauty and the strength of the Lord. The people of God, the Jewish people are going to be stirred out of envy to see the beauty and the strength of the Lord as expressed in Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. And there'll be a great shift that will come. Now, what we don't know is, is how long is this going to take and how long is this going to go on? It could be seven years or it could be seven days. Uh, and it's why we should today be praying for the Jewish people and praying for those who intentionally work to show forth the love of Jesus to those who are Jewish. Moving on, let's keep going. Romans 11, verses 25 to 27. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, 
the deliverer will come from Zion and he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, to be sure, there is only one deliverer. Uh, as, as, as Paul says and writes, to be sure, uh, there is a hardness that is over the hearts of the Jewish people. For sure, right now, uh, that's what's going on. There is a hardness. They're experiencing a hardness of heart, but it's not going to stay that way. When the full number of the Gentiles comes in, they are going to see their deliverer. And there's only one deliverer, just as there is only one tree and one people of God. And when Paul talks about the full measure of the Gentiles, it seems, it seems like, and it seems fairly clear that he's, there, this is a number. You know, what does it mean to the, what does the full measure of the Gentiles mean? Well, well, while we may not be able to get right down to the exact definition or even an exact number, um, it does seem to be a, a number. Um, there's a sense of completion here as well. In other words, as Paul would write in another context, Galatians chapter 4, he writes about the fullness of time. Here he's writing about the fullness of the number of Gentiles. There's a completion here. I, I, I see it this way. I think that God, who is sovereign, surprisingly sovereign, knows that there is a fullness and a completion that he has in his own mind and in his own heart. And when he sees it, he will say, now is the time. Now is the time of the shift. Uh, uh, we may not have the precise schedule, and we don't, or we may not have the exact agenda, and we don't. But what we can say is that things are not going to remain as they are. That God has an economy, and that things are not going to remain as they are, because he's going to move us forward as the gospel and the reception of the gospel shifts to the Jewish people and they look on Yeshua and believe. Romans 11, verses 30 and 32. We're getting close to the end. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God, and that's everybody, that's all, that's you, that's me, that's all of us, at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, the Jewish people's disobedience, those who did not receive Jesus. So they have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. In other words, to say it simply, simply said, we have all been disobedient. The Jewish people have been disobedient. The Gentile people have been disobedient. Dale has been disobedient. Becky has been disobedient. Mary has been, you know, it, we have all, the nations have been disobedient to God, everyone. And that God, therefore, when he responds to mercy, he not only responds out of the same mercy to everyone who has been disobedient, but everyone can receive or experience that same mercy. It's our disobedience that triggers the mercy and the mercy comes out of the heart of God because it's his character and he moves toward us, each of us, in mercy. Remember, our sin, our cluelessness, our disobedience does not disqualify us from knowing and experiencing the mercy of God. All right, real quickly, as we move toward the end here, let's talk about uh, 
what is God's mercy then? Well, God is going to move toward the disobedient in mercy, and we are all disobedient, so we're all going to know or have the opportunity to experience the mercy of God. Um, and that's how we'll relate to him. Then what is that? What is the mercy of God? Three prophets, uh, three ways to understand God's mercy. The first prophet is Micah. You know, Micah lived in a very low point in Israel's history. So this, thousand, this is yeah, thousands of years ago. Uh, okay, 2,500 years ago. And, 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 and Micah lives in a low point uh, in the history of, of the nation of Israel, back when the Jewish people were actually a proper nation. And, and there's corruption, uh, the leaders were corrupt, um, the, the powerless were vulnerable and they suffered because of their vulnerability, all within the same nation, all Jewish people, uh, but leadership was corrupted, religious leadership was corrupted, um, there was a, a love of money and greed was pretty much driving everybody. Uh, captivated by greed and the love of money, uh, for example, religious leaders would accept uh, bribes or payment from political leaders to give some kind of a thus saith the Lord or, or, or just, just straight up injustice. Like for example, when the Jewish law said that no poor person, no matter how poor you were, and even how much debt you had incurred, you would never permanently lose uh, your land. That was God's gift to you and it stayed with you and your family forever that the unjust political leaders were, were managed to take away this one gift that God had given to every single person. Um, this is the injustice of Micah's day. Uh, and, and yet God gives a, a message to Micah to deliver to the people, both those who were oppressed and those who were oppressing. God will relate to you in mercy Turn to him. For example, uh, he says in Micah 7, verses 18 to 20, who is a God like you, who pardons sins and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not say, you do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and to show love to Abraham, the Jewish people, as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. When God is merciful, this is what mercy looks like. He's relenting from his anger. You know, you and I, m most of us in this way, know what it's like to get angry. We know what it's like to be very angry with another person. Many of us would know what it's like to have that anger uh, consume us and we and 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 feeling fully justified of course we press into our anger and then we press our anger against others and feeling like there's no stopping and no need to stop as we press with anger against the person who has offended us betrayed us whatever the reasons right uh, but we also hopefully know what it's like to relent from that anger all right. To, do we relent from our anger? Now, now we're we're people. We're we have mixed motives at times. We don't always even know our own heart. We think we're justified in all this anger, but uh, sometimes we're not. Uh, it's just our pride or our arrogance. But God, who is perfect uh, in His uh, anger toward injustice, 
uh, and those who have transgressed against him and sinned against him, um, will himself relent, will himself see him uh, relent from his anger. This is mercy. Compassion is mercy. The compassion of God toward us is mercy. Tossing our sins away is mercy. Staying faithful to the covenant while he is at the same time merciful is mercy. There is a hint, not, 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 even a, a, not even a hint, a direct and open expectation that you and I would show forth the same kind of mercy, just like God does. Micah 6, 8, he has shown you, O mortal human being, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. All right, the prophet Hosea was a prophet who was directed to marry and then told that his wife was going to become, uh, was going to leave him and the children and become a prostitute. Hosea is then directed to find his wife, pay her debts, and take her into his home again as his wife. It was a prophetic action so that the people could see and be moved by the merciful heart of God. This is how God is relating to us, the way Hosea has related to his wife. It's God's mercy which is behind his calling uh, that the most unlikely people will be called his son or called his daughter. It's God's mercy that opens the door to our healing. For as we read in Exodus chapter 25, God said, I am the God that heals you. Or Hosea 14.4, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely for my anger has been turned away from them. I love the story from Luke chapter seven. Jesus is having dinner at the home of Simon and a prostitute, a, a sinful woman. She's described that way, which is just a nice way of saying she was a prostitute, but she's encountered Jesus and he has set her free. He has healed her and she has rushed into the home of Simon Un, uninvited and rushed into his home, weeping, kneeling at his feet, tears just, just covering herself, her face and his feet. And, and Simon to himself, but Jesus knowing his thoughts, thinks to himself, if this man were a real prophet, he would know the kind of person that, that this is. This is, what, this is what, what is this that's happening? This woman is, sinful woman is, at the feet of Jesus, if he, if he was a real prophet, he would put a stop to this. But the fact is that Simon was wrong and that Jesus was a real prophet. Uh, in the same line of Hosea, who welcomed his wife, who would become a prostitute, back into his home. Jesus is welcoming this daughter of Abraham back into the family of God. Why should she not be healed? Why should she not be the receiver of life? Why should she not have a new life according to and by the mercy of God? Of course, of course, this is the heart of God. This is the mercy of God. And we see it in the way he brings life and joy to this daughter of God. That's God's mercy. Finally, Jonah. Jonah knows all about the mercy of God and, 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 and resents it. If you know the Jonah story, Jonah is called by God to go to the enemies of his people, the people of Israel. And these, and these are nasty, mean people. I mean, terrible people, uh, these Ninevites, all right? And, and, and Jonah is called by God to go to these people to say, God is offering mercy to you. And Jonah doesn't want to do it. 
They don't deserve it. They don't deserve mercy. And so he refuses to go. In fact, he tries to go in the opposite direction. Uh, it's a famous story, but and if you know it, uh, he gets end up ends up being swallowed by a great fish. Uh, the fish vomits Jonah back onto the shore. Jonah goes to the people of Nineveh and delivers the message. God will be merciful to you. But he doesn't say God. He just says, actually, what he tells them is that you're going to be destroyed, you know, in 40 days. You're going to be destroyed in 40 days. Uh, it's almost like he's undermining his own message. And the people respond. They hear the mercy of God in Jonah's brief words. And they respond. And they break down before God and surrender to him and receive God's mercy. But Jonah is furious and he's angry. And he says something like, you know, God, I knew this would happen. These are our enemies. These people don't deserve mercy. I knew that you're the kind of God that would offer them mercy anyway. And they've accepted it. And now you're giving them an opportunity at life. I didn't like this. I didn't like it from the beginning. I knew you would do this kind of thing. And Jonah is furious. He's angry because of the mercy of God that has been offered to these people, the enemies of God. He doesn't want to see God show mercy. And God responds to Jonah and responds to Jonah's anger and resentment at mercy and says, Jonah, is your anger justified? Jonah 4, verse 4, verse 9. Jonah, is your anger justified? Do you have the right to say to me, God, how dare you be merciful? Uh, how dare you uh, love uh, your enemies? Is it okay for you if God were to love his enemies? Uh, we never know Jonah's response. Uh, because as uh, the Bible Project guys like to say, the book of Jonah ends without knowing Jonah's response to the question, are you okay with God showing mercy to his enemies? because it's a question that God wants for each of us to answer. Am I okay with God showing his mercy to everyone if everyone is going to include people I don't like, people I don't think deserve it, people who have hurt me or betrayed me? Is it okay for them? Is it okay with me for them to receive or even for God to offer his mercy to them. Jesus told a parable uh, about workers and wages, and uh, he hires some workers at the beginning. It's a parable of a master who hires some workers, day workers, at the beginning of the first day of the harvest. Uh, they know they're going to need extra help, and so the worker hires, the master hires them, promises them that this is what you'll make and earn for the, your day's work. All day long, he's hiring people. Even within the last hour of daylight, he's, he's, he needs more workers. So the master goes out and he hires more workers just for the last hour. And when it came time for everyone to collect their pay, what everyone discovers is that everyone got paid the same. The person who'd been there all day received exactly what was promised to them. But the master also promised the same for those who arrived in the last hour. Of course, everybody who'd worked there all day said, time out, not fair, not fair. We worked all day. Of course, the master said, I've, I've not been unfair with you. I, we talked, you agreed. This is what I said that I would pay for the day's wages. It's a fair wage. Uh, it's my vineyard. And if I want to pay 
those who work in the last hour the same as those who've worked all day, I can do that. It's my vineyard. And there's a challenge there in that. I love that parable because it always catches me like, yeah, unfair. You know, I probably would have been the first one. I'd have been that guy, you know, who'd been there all day complaining about the person who'd been there the one hour making the same amount as me. Uh, I, 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 boy, I, I fall into that every time I read that parable. Like, yeah, that's me, you know. I'm, you know, but God is calling us and challenging us to embrace his mercy, to embrace his mercy and the sharing of that mercy and the giving of that mercy to everyone, even the people I don't think deserve it. All right, one more short story. We're, we're wrapping things up. I remember, remember being part of a, a, a church many years ago. I was a leader on the leadership team there. And one of our former leaders, one of the former leaders there had, it was discovered had stolen money from the church and, and quite, a, quite a large amount of money actually. And, and um, it was arranged with them uh, how they would pay it back. There was, there was an admission of, of guilt and yes, I did that and uh, negotiation on uh, how much was actually stolen. And they, went, they worked all through the, de the details. And then it was agreed that he would pay and make payments and pay this back. Um, uh, after some time, he moved, he left the area and um, it wasn't a very long time before he stopped making the payments. And we, we, we'd ask as a leadership team, you know, at, at, the, at, our, at our monthly meeting, um, did we receive a payment from this brother who had uh, left and stolen the money from us? And, and we would have to report, a treasurer would report, no, no payment came in. And we went, oh, he didn't make the payment. He owes that money to us. Finally, it was suggested that, that why don't we release him from this debt? It doesn't mean that he's not morally obligated uh, to do what is right, but we are going to release him from his debt. Uh, what he chooses to decide now will be between him and God, but he will be to us no longer a debtor. One of the, one of the men who wasn't there, it was decided then that that's what they would do. One of the men who wasn't there when the decision was made, when he heard about the decision said, don't agree with that. A debt's a debt, payment must be made. This guy owes, he needs to pay. And he said later, he said, I went to the Bible. I thought, he said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna find a story in the Bible or uh, something that God says somewhere that says debtors must pay, uh, you gotta pay uh, if, if you're gonna be accepted. He said, I went and I looked and I looked, I, got, I looked from cover to cover, from front to back. I got, I'm gonna find a story. He said, you know what I found? Page after page, mercy. I looked for, God says, you must pay. But what I found was mercy, mercy. A page after page. What about the next page? Mercy. I flipped a few more pages. How about the book of Micah, the prophet Micah? What do I find there? Mercy. I flip a little bit more. Go, go a few pages ahead. How about, the, how about the prophet Isaiah? What did I find there? Mercy. I got to Jesus. What did I find there? Mercy. There's a song that we used to sing. I grew up in a church where we sang something called hymns. Maybe you know about hymns. There was a hymn that went like there. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty. Where? 
at Calvary, at the place where Jesus died for me, at Calvary, at Calvary, on the cross of Jesus Christ, I found mercy. I was one of the disobedient ones, and so are you, and so were you, and you found mercy too. Perhaps it's time to receive the mercy of God. Perhaps it's time for you to receive the mercy of God. Perhaps it's time for you to stop being so angry that God chose to show his mercy to someone you thought didn't deserve it. Perhaps it's time for you or me to show mercy to someone that we have been holding in a debtor's prison. I will never forgive you, we said. Perhaps it's time that we show mercy, like the mercy that was shown to us by the grace of God. Let's pray for each other. Father, I, I pray today as we finish up this series, Lord, this isn't a story about somebody else. And this word isn't a word for another people at another time. We are one people, and this is one tree, and we are one family of God, and the root of that tree that carries the mercy and the love and the grace of God has not changed. Now it must course and pulse through my life, this branch, to receive mercy and quit being so prideful, to give mercy, quit being so prideful, and to love mercy, for this is your heart. We pray, help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.